What is up team? Welcome back to the show. Today we have another Q&A and it is just Andrea and I today. So Andrea, fill us in. How has your week been? It's been good. There hasn't been a ton going on. Um, we It's been super hot here. We were just talking about how it's like um, as warm as I think it is in Scottsdale this week. So it's like mm-hmm. 103 to 105 every day this week, which I I don't love I always get I like I wish it was warmer whenever it's in the middle of winter obviously and I'm like man I wish it was summer and then it gets in the middle of summer and I'm like no I, I prefer winter actually because winter we get like at least here there's like some reprieve every few days mm-hmm. we'll have like a random nice day whereas yeah. in the summer it's like it just drags on so I, I'm in that point of summer where I'm ready ready for some fall weather <laughs> I probably don't really get fall weather till like what november (laughs) yeah i mean it depends on what you consider fall weather like still on like the cold days it'll still be like so like the end of december january february will normally be like mid 60s during the day and then sometimes it might get down to like low 40s high 30s but never it's never like cold which is amazing and i i hate winter i would take i would take it being super hot every single day over like (laughs) being cold um but yeah it's it's pretty nice there cool so it sounds like not a ton going on this week then um with your training and nutrition what's been going on there anything new or just same as always yeah it's just been the same as always i i've been in like a very or he's attempted to put me in a very slight deficit, but there's just not been a ton of movement. Like I'll drop down a couple of pounds and then I'll get a spike on the scale and then it'll take a while for that to come back down. And then I'll have like hormonal fluctuations and get another spike in the scale. So it's really just not been very productive. I mean, it was only like a 200 calorie decrease. So very, very light anyway. And, um, So I don't know. I would imagine that we're probably not going to just keep trying it. I imagine that sometime soon we're just going to like shift the focus over to the thyroid and gut stuff. And then um, like I I would be totally fine just building until maybe next spring. I'm totally fine with that. Um, But of course, like I was 100% up for trying this deficit because I wouldn't hate being a little bit leaner. And I also would like to see my blood glucose numbers improve, but I mean, wherever we can see some progression, I'm fine with that. So we'll see, but training's been the same. Okay. Also kind of at the point in the year where it like, uh, do I really still want to continue to get leaner? Right. Like you have like basically one more month of summer and then, um, huh. Interesting. But you said you were only, you only dropped calories by 200 for the deficit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Did you guys increase movement or anything of that nature? Yeah. Movement increased by a thousand steps per day. So I'm between 11 and 12,000. Okay. So I, but still I wouldn't, that's not like you wouldn't expect. I'm not surprised also just like from it being that small of a deficit that you're not seeing that many changes. Yeah. I think it was mostly, I mean, I'm new at working with him. So I think it was mostly just see how I respond and kind of gauge Am I somebody who needs a little bit more of a deficit, which I don't think we're going to be doing right now anyway, or am I uh-huh. someone who can just like pull a little bit off and then kind of slow, like study, be study changes. Yeah. Which you always have to dig very hard in fat loss, don't you? 
Yeah, I have, but then it's like, okay, how much of that is because I see that my my thyroid numbers are um, not great and hormones are off. Like, so I don't know how much of it is that and how much of it is just uh, more of a uh, like flexible metabolism or adaptive metabolism rather. Interesting. Cool. Well, I'm interested to hear what like your continued process looks like. Um, my last week has been good. So as we discussed in the last podcast, I had just kind of kicked things off with Brandon. That's been, so I've been just on a meal plan. Um, we've been in kind of a mini cut leading up to Bali, which I've, I've really, I think I talked about this on the last podcast. Like I've made like my own, like quote unquote flexible dieting meal plans, but I've never had like just a meal plan. Mm-hmm. I have, I have really genuinely enjoyed that. Like, it's so nice really? to just, yeah. It's so nice to just not have to think about it. Um, and just like, okay, I know exactly what to eat today. Right. And that's kind of removing the, pl- I know that doesn't work for everybody and that's not how I would want to like long-term, like that's why we use flexible dieting, right? Like long-term, I don't think like just having a meal plan is something that's realistic or sustainable for 99% of people. But I do think especially in more aggressive and like we've talked about this a lot with like the flexible dieting meal plan, which is kind of like a meal plan, but you do have a little bit more flexibility of like, Hey, okay, this weekend I want to go out for a date night. I want to be able to work in like a couple glasses of wine or like a random event comes up, right? I'm not just an online coach where like fitness is basically my life. I have things outside of this and like, okay, we still have some flexibility outside of that. But like 90% of the time, let's say you just can easily follow this plan and you basically just rinse and repeat and it doesn't have to like take up a lot of your headspace playing macro Tetris. I feel like there's definitely like a time and a place for that, especially if you have more aggressive fat loss goals. Like, and that's definitely where I'm at right now. So it's been, it's been, it's been cool the first week to like see the things that like see kind of Brandon's approach to things. And I, we've already of course learned a ton from Brandon, but it's cool to like dig a little bit deeper into that. Um, so yeah, that's been good. Let's see. I think the last two weeks I've lost three pounds. So I was down to, I'm sitting between 196 and 197, which I mean, it's a pretty solid clip, but it's not like we're still below that, like 1% of rate of loss, 1% of body weight loss per week. So nothing too crazy by any means. So yeah, it's been going pretty good from my end. Good. Yeah, that's cool. cool. All right. How are you liking that, uh, morning hydration mix? Oh, Are you that's, used a- to it at all? <laughs> that's actually terrible. Have we talked about that? Yeah, I've actually started adding that um, in some mornings because uh, <laughs> to me, I am not someone who can just like, not, like intuitively get all of the water in that mm-hmm. I need to drink through the day. I need to like have a morning goal before I drink any coffee of getting a certain yeah. amount of hydration in. So getting that in has been helpful too. Cause then I like drink my normal water. I also drink a big, like probably 20 ounce thing of that and then um, get some sodium in and stuff there. So I yeah. no, <laughs> I, I have again, like I've really enjoyed how it's like, I just have, so when he sent over his plan, I had to like create so much routine for my day because it's like, okay, so I basically have everything mapped out and I'm constantly revisiting like my checklist for the day. Like, okay, this is when I take these supplements. So it feels very good to like constantly be getting more dialed in. And I'll say like, this is, it's only a week, but this is like the most like routine I've been with everything where it's like everything at these exact times. And I, I've really, I have appreciated that as well. Um, but that's for the, the listeners, fun part of a strict diet, like dieting oh, yeah. for something coming up, that's the that's the most enjoyable part of it because you just feel so dialed in and like right. there's no flexibility, which is 
uh, like <laughs> it, it's a limited run of time that you can do that, but it feels so good to have that such strict pattern it does. for your day. It does just feel so good to like follow through with that. And I feel like it carries over for me, like for my excitement and my work and like just everything that we're doing. And I'm also trying to do a better job. Like I've gotten a lot of hate for how my, my salads <laughs> this <laughs> last week, honestly, all of my food, cause I don't care about the presentation, my food at all. And it's just like, um, just like whatever I'll eat it. I don't honestly care too much about like if it tastes the best or not, but no, I've really liked that. But for the listeners, like the morning, hydration what it's like eight to 12 ounces of water there's lime juice lemon juice cinnamon pink sea salt white sea not white sea salt iodized table salt and then the thing have you been putting the apple cider or vinegar in yours yeah okay that's i don't I am, it. i'm getting used to it but the first time i was like holy shit how do people <laughs> drink this i will like drink mine down till there's like just a bit of water left and then i'll put the apple cider vinegar in and then i'll just like chug it do you like mix oh, it with all, the entire no, thing i mix it with the whole thing because it burns if you do it that way and I, to me with cinnamon added in it that makes it bearable really mine when yeah. i mixed it with like 12 ounces of water it was just so bad to like i would rather <laughs> get it down but then Katie said also you can like burn your esophagus if you don't mix yeah. it well enough because it's so acidic. So I need to also make sure that we're good in that regard. But yeah, I'm definitely getting used to it. The first time was pretty rough. I didn't know if I'd be able to yeah. do it every morning, but since then I've been better. Cool. All right. Let's get into these questions. So um, we have a decent amount. Let's start with, I want to kick this one over to you. How to structure calorie deficit meals and workouts, best strategies for it to be successful. How to structure meals and workouts. How to structure calorie deficit meals and workouts, best strategies for it to be successful. So basically I think what she's saying is now I will like to start. I said, I was going to kick this over to you, but I think an important (laughs) disclaimer first is like, this is going to vary so much by person as far as like, what's going to be the best approach for you for fat loss. Like we basically, we just got off our team call. We basically just spent like 45 minutes talking about like, all these things are going to be so person to person dependent. So keep in mind, like how you should train, how much volume you should do, the movements that are going to be the best fit for you, what phase of training you should be in, whether you should diet more aggressively or more conservatively, like where your carbs are going to be at. All that should vary a lot based on you as an individual. And that's like something we can't do without actually coaching you. So keep in mind, these are general recommendations. But now that I gave the disclaimer, Andrea, I'm going to let you do all the brunt work there. What do you got for okay. us? Yeah, so this is in a calorie deficit, right? This is for right. fat loss? Okay. Yeah. So it's hard to know where to start because this is such a big, broad topic that we could talk forever on this. But I'll start off with the meals side of things. So we talked last week about how to find a calorie deficit. So I'll, I won't go into that aspect of it. But once you know the amount of calories that you are aiming to eat, then um, finding a meal pattern that works for you um, is usually going to be between three and five meals per day for most people. Uh, four is usually a pretty good sweet spot because you get enough protein feeding throughout the day. It also breaks up your daily protein in small enough chunks that you're not eating so much meat or so much whatever it is to get your protein. Um, And uh, it also doesn't require so much meal prep that like maybe five, six, seven meals per day would. So four meals typically works out best for a lot of people, but you can kind of experiment and see what works best for you. And then from there say, okay, 
what is my calorie or what is sorry, what's my protein target for the day? And then with protein, you want to split that fairly evenly across the day. So with carbs and fats, you can vary it across meals a little bit more, but with protein, you really don't want like 80% of your protein all in one meal and then smaller servings through the rest of the day. You really want it fairly evenly split. So for that four meals per day example, you would just divide your total number number by four and aim to hit that, let's say within plus or minus five grams with each of those meals. And you can look at your meals and say, okay, for breakfast, I want to have oatmeal with protein powder and egg whites. So then I'm going to plug that into my fitness pal and adjust the protein powder and egg whites up or down until I hit that amount that I need per meal. Same thing with lunch. You can go, okay, with lunch, I want ground turkey. So I'm going to put that in there first, adjust that until I get within five grams up or down of that target number, and then so on with the remainder of your meal. Then with the rest of your calories, you would decide, what do I want these meals to be? Maybe at lunch, it is stir fry. And at dinner, it's just like a protein with veggies and potato on the side. So then you'd plug your other foods in there, adjust things up or down until you hit the number of calories that you want per meal or per day. And then you can kind of set up your own flexible meal plan where you just kind of repeat those meals on a consistent basis. You can maybe have um, two or three different uh, um, options for each of those meals that you know hit close to your macros. Or you could just repeat that consistently. And then let's say on Sunday, you sit down and rework different meals for the following week, and then you follow those. So then you know, I know what to get at the grocery store. Um, I know what I need to have meal prepped for each of these meals, and you can have it ready to go without having to have, without having to repeat the same thing for months on end and get bored with that. So that's how I would set up meals. Now, and obviously, like Jeremiah said at the very beginning, there's a lot of flexibility within this and you have to find what works for you. But that tends to work out well for a lot of our clients because then you're basing it on things that you actually enjoy eating and it's from food sources that you like. And then we'll usually have like a produce goal within that to make sure you're getting micronutrients. Um, and then that is kind of a good balance between routine and flexibility. Now on the training side, you would also decide how many days per week do I want to train for my goals. So usually that's going to be for our clients, usually somewhere between three and five. Really, if you aren't trying to build the most amount of muscle, you could probably get away with two days per week. Um, if you're keeping it on the lower intensity side, you could even probably go six days per week. Um, obviously, you don't want to like absolutely crush yourself six days per week because that's going to probably exceed your recovery capacity. But then somewhere within that, you'd you decide on the number of days that you want to train per week. And then you decide based on that, what is a good split for me that works within those days per week. So for three days per week, it might be upper lower full body, or it might be three full body sessions or four days per week. It might be um, push pull lower full body, or it might be upper lower, upper lower, or anterior posterior is another one that I've used quite a bit um, for five days, you know, and so on. You just break things out into a way that makes sense for your goals that hits the right amount of um, volume per muscle group or um, body area, I guess, that works for, for the amount of volume that you need. 
And then from there, it gets even more individual and breaking it out into, into days. So I, this is one where we could like, this is kind of like everything that we've talked about on every episode, <laughs> but yeah. all in one question. Yeah, there's for sure a lot to dig into there, but I think you did a very good job hitting the basics of it where like with the deficit, I think again, creating that rough structure for your week is one of the most important things. One of the common traits of the people that are most successful with fat loss is they're not just playing macro Tetris. They're not just winging it, going into every day. We don't have to follow the exact same plan every single day. But like, if you can have a rough skeleton for like, what's your day of eating will look like, Hey, here's a general idea of how I hit my protein goal and the remainder of my goals versus like, I'm just going to plug everything in at the end of the day and hope it works out. That typically doesn't go very well. Cause there's also normally the scenario where it's like, okay, well, shit, I'm seeing I'm a little over my carbs, but like, uh, if I move this down and like, I say, I, maybe that was like a large apple, but I'm actually going to say it was like a small apple. And then like, this is probably like where you can kind of like fudge your numbers and like, okay, cool. I hit my macros. Great. Right. And then it's like, well, I'm still not seeing fat loss. Um, I think having that structure is very important. And then from the training, um, don't try to train for fat loss. I think is one of the most important things you want always want to train like you're trying to build muscle. So we want to continue to take things relatively close to failure. Most of your sets should probably be stopping about one to two reps shy of technique failure. Um, and then really like, I will say in a scenario like this, if you don't know necessarily what the approach that works best for you is, it's probably safe to assume that you can make good progress training three days a week, either full body or upper lower full body, or actually I would do that. I would probably do that full body upper lower, um, or else four days a week, upper lower, upper lower at most. And just aim for like for your large muscle groups around eight to hard set, eight to 12 hard sets per muscle group per week is probably a pretty good starting point. And then for the smaller muscle groups, I think like biceps, triceps, side delts, we could probably get away with about six hard sets per muscle group. And really within that, like there's, we could go again, we could go on about this for a very long time. But I think that's kind of a good foundation to start with there. Um, anything else to add to that? What was the very last part of the question? How to do that consistently? Um, it was just the best strategies for it to be successful, which I think we kind of oh, okay. touched yeah, on already. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think we pretty much covered that. Cool. All right. Next one I have. This is probably too long for a Q&A, but how to build a decent program for a be- beginner with very limited gym equipment, basic machines and dumbbells, no functional trainer. All right. So within this, this is going to be pretty similar to the last where like what that program will look like is going to depend so much on the person, but we can first, for sure, again, speaking generalities, right? So I'll say if we're looking at a pure beginner, again, they're typically not going to need more than three days a week of training and at most maybe four, but let's, I would say really here, I would probably like most pure beginners, we're going to start with just three days a week of full body training. Typically that's the route that I like to go in. Now I'll also say they're like not having a functional trainer isn't going to be that big of an issue. Like she said, like there's still dumbbells and machines available. Like even if there's machines available, that's so much more than ever since COVID at least, like it's such a blessing if a client actually has cables available, but I feel like it's more often than not that most clients are just working from home and it's, Hey, maybe I have an adjustable bench. I have some adjustable dumbbells and maybe like a pull-up bar that I can put in my doorway. And that's essentially it. Right. So you can, you can definitely work with that. That's all we had up until six months ago. So like you can really get creative and do a lot of stuff with that. Oh yeah. And your, your home gym has up leveled a lot over the last six months, by the way. (laughs) Um, But within that, yeah. So basically when we are building like a three day a week, full body split, 
typically how we're looking at it is the meat and potatoes are kind of like the core components that we want to make sure that we have in place every session are going to be, and really here, I'll start to look at it as like movement patterns over muscle groups. When we get deeper into hypertrophy training, then we're typically, I'm, t- I'm typically starting to bias it more for like, Hey, how much volume do we have for this specific muscle group? Are we training? Like how much lengthened work versus short work? But here I really like to start by just looking at movement patterns, right? And basically we want to, within each of those three training days, make sure we've hit some type of upper body push, some type of upper body pull, some type of knee dominant movement. So you could think like a squat or a lunge and some type of hinge movement or hip dominant movement. So think like an RDL, or this could really be like a reverse lunge. That's more glute bias versus more quad bias, for example. Right? So those are going to be our four main components or the four pillars that we're building it around. Now, the reality is like for someone in this scenario, typically like when we're constructing a full body training session, if we're getting too much more than like six to seven movements within that training session, it's just getting a little bit long for the client. So typically we're going to try to keep that to about six to seven movements at most. I mean, also typically a client training in this fashion is going to be like relatively time limited. So within that, we want to make it as efficient as possible. So typically I'll, I'll pair the entire thing as supersets, right? So we have those four main movements that I talked about before. So normally we'll pair an upper body push with a lower body pull and vice versa, right? When we're working through those first four movements. So it might be like your super, your first superset, let's say is going to be a lower body hinge pattern. So let's say we're doing like a dumbbell RDL superset with an upper body push. Let's say we're doing like a dumbbell flat bench press there, right? We're going to rest 90 seconds between after those RDLs. We're going to go into that bench press. We're going to rest 90, 90 seconds or up to two minutes. And we're going to rinse and repeat that for probably about three to four sets. Then we're going to move on to, okay, so we've got that hinge pattern, which is really going to train our glutes and hamstrings. We've got that upper body push, which is really going to train our chest, our delts, our triceps. Then we're going to move on to an upper body pull supersetted with a more knee dominant or more quad movement, quad dominant movement, which of course is going to train our quads. And then that upper body pull is going to train our back. And to an extent that's going to be training our biceps as well. Right now we could really like split hairs here a little bit more, but if we look at like, as long as we've trained those four basic movement patterns, we've really touched on most every muscle group in the client's body. Now from there again, like we could say like, Hey, is going, is an upper body pulling movement like a dumbbell row? Is that really going to train my biceps that effectively? Uh, no, we're not going to be like training them through a very full range of motion. A beginner client is still going to be able to see some growth from that. But then from there, we still have like two to three additional movements here where with those last two to three movements, that's when we get into a little bit more isolation work. And that would be focusing more on like the client's additional priorities, right? So if it's like, Hey, um, actually, so if it's like, Hey, I want to build my glutes a little bit more then okay, so we had that RDL, which we know is going to be a good movement for your glutes and hamstrings. So maybe like if this client's goals are like, hey, I want to build my glutes and my delts the most. Okay, we're going to tick those four primary boxes of those four main movement patterns, right? And those are, again, typically going to be compound movements. So again, here we could have done like an RDL superset with a bench press, and then we could have done like a knee dominant movement. So let's say like a, let's say like a quad dominant leg press if they have a leg press available if not you could do something like a dumbbell foam roller hack squat you could do something like a dumbbell cyclist squat and we're going to pair that with say a dumbbell row or a dumbbell chest supported row or some type of pull-up variation or like a rack pull-up variation is something that works very well here um we could approach it from that perspective then those final three movements of that training day those would typically be more isolation-esque movements 
that are going to be focused on the client's priorities or their weaknesses, right? So let's say for this client, again, it's, hey, I want to really bring up my glutes and my side delts. Okay, so here we would probably do something like maybe we're going to add in like a lateral raise variation and we're going to add in a hip thrust, right? And we're going to superset those two movements. We're adding a little bit more volume for the glutes and the side delts, right? Now, really there, we can kind of rinse and repeat like that structure across the week and use different movement patterns. Now that said, I would essentially just vary the angles um, within that for the upper body work. So, right. So for example, just think like if day one, we're doing a a flat bench press, that's probably going to work more of the lower division of the chest and a little bit less of the front delts. Maybe day two, that upper body push is going to be a dumbbell shoulder press, right? And we're going to be a little bit more prioritizing the front delts. And then maybe day three, that upper body push is going to be like an incline press, it's going to be a decent amount of front delts, but also some of that upper pack, right? So across the course of the week, we've really still trained all the divisions of the chest pretty well. And I would apply that same pattern to your pulling movements where we could really think like, now when we don't have, when we don't have cables available, back training is the area we'll run into a little bit more challenges, but we can still really like, we can still really work around this pretty well. Where it's easy to think like, okay, basically all I can do is dumbbell rows, but really we have a lot of different variations here. We can do like a dumbbell row. We can do a dumbbell chest supported row. We can do a helms row where we have our chest like against the back of a bench, but we're rowing at like a 45 degree angle. Um, And that's going to be pretty similar to a chest supported row. And again, like if the client has any type of pull up bar available, we can also like a movement that I really like because lats are the thing that's going to be a little bit harder to hit here. Whereas even like a dumbbell row, we can make it a little bit more lat bias, but it's always going to be a little bit more like upper back. Whereas really like a vertical pull is going to be the hardest movement for us to emulate outside of just like an overhand pull up. But typically like if someone has a pull up bar that they can just stick in the doorway then they can do like if it has neutral grip handles or they can just grab like some angles 90s handles we send a bunch of our clients like a it's they're not angles 90s they're the exact same as like the angles 90 handles but they're a cheaper version um if you search angles 90 90s on amazon they're like the they're the first thing that pops up but you can do that and then a movement i really like for that is like Again, a rack pull-up with a neutral grip. So you can attach those to the pull-up bar. If the pull-up bar has neutral handles, we can just use those. And you can elevate your feet on a chair or a bench. And it's a little bit easier than like a traditional pull-up, but it's a great way to also train our lats within that, right? So then basically we're we're adjusting the angles that we're, that we're using across the week. Um, and we're also being mindful of the amount of axial loading that we're getting, right? So with our lower body movements, axial loading basically think as the amount that we're loading our spine, right? So we don't want to just do like, okay, day one, my movement is a dumbbell RDL for my like hip dominant pattern. Day two is again a dumbbell RDL. And then once again, it's a dumbbell RDL day three, right? Like those are all going to put a decent amount of load on your spine. So it might be like, Hey, maybe day one, I'm doing a bent knee RDL. That's going to be a little bit more glute biased day two. Maybe I'm doing something like a dumbbell reverse lunge, right? Or maybe honestly, I'd probably do like day one, I'm going to do like a more stiff-legged variation of dumbbell RDL. That's going to bias my hamstrings a little bit more. Day two, I'm going to do something like a dumbbell reverse lunge where this isn't going to load my spine nearly as much, but it's going to be a little bit more glute dominant. And then maybe day three, we go back to a variation that's going to load our spine a little bit more like a bent knee RDL, but that's going to be a more glute dominant Romanian deadlift instead of a more hamstring dominant Romanian deadlift, right? And I would apply that same, I would apply that same concept to your squat patterns or your knee dominant patterns, but we're alternating the days where we're loading our spine heavily with our hinge patterns and our knee dominant patterns, right? So day one, 
when we're doing like a dumbbell RDL, maybe we're doing like a, um, again, like a dumbbell cyclist squat or even like a split squat variation that's not going to load our spine as much. Maybe day two, we're doing something like a barbell back squat with our heels elevated that is going to load our spine more, right? But then our hip dominant pattern is like that reverse launch that isn't going to load our spine as much. Um, so pretty long winded, but that is kind of the basics of how I put that together. Any additional thoughts there? I would say as a beginner, you have a lot of runway with a lot of these movements. So listening to all of this, it might sound overwhelming, but once you get your core program put together, then you can progress on those movements for a really long time without plateauing. And once you do plateau on something, which would be like maybe three or four weeks of not being able to add any weight or any um, load to something, even like after taking a deload, if you're still not able to add anything to that movement, then you can switch it out for something really similar. So same movement pattern, um, maybe even like same um, axial loading and things like that. And so it's not like you have to come up with this perfect program every single month with different right. movements. You can really progress for a long time. Yeah. And this is, um, I know this question is actually coming from a coach herself. So I think it's more like from the context of how does she put it together for a client there? I think that's a great point where like probably the worst thing you could, I don't want to say the worst thing you could do, but it would be much better for the client's results to like the movements that are progressing well just keep progressing those rather than feeling like you have to like hit the client with a completely different program every single month. Because the reality is like they aren't going to be able to build as much muscle, right? Because the first few weeks of those new movements will just be them figuring out the skill of the movement, getting those neurological adaptations. And then after that is when we can really like create a ton of tension in the target tissue and really see progressive overload and actually really start to build muscle. Um, cool. I don't think I have anything else to add to that. So next question we have who has the best calf muscles in the Rogers household? <laughs> My five-year-old Tate has the best calf muscles, probably of any of you listening right now. <laughs> he has actual crazy looking calves. It's so funny. We, we're just like, we can't even get used to it. We comment on it all the time. So yeah, he wins out of all of us, even okay. out of Nick and I who actually try hard at it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You said like when he was a little kid, you guys like put creatine in his bottles, right? Uh-huh. Yeah, that's, that's what they did. <laughs> I'm 100% joking. <laughs> um, cool. No. Okay. Um, I can't speak to that, so I will take your word for that one. <laughs> um, next one we have, I'm going to see my family and they haven't seen me in two years. Could I do a creatine load before I go? So this is one of the questions that Jody got, and I'm not quite sure the context of this. I wish we had a little bit more context around it. I think what he's thinking is like, if I load up on creatine before I go, will I look more jacked? Um, so what I'll say is like, you could load creatine. I don't think you'll actually see a noticeable difference though. I think like there is a lot of content out around there about like the benefits of creatine and why you should take creatine. And it's because creatine like is a very well supported supplement that's proven to be effective, but it's not going to even be a noticeable difference. I don't, at least to my, in my perception, I don't think anyone has ever taken creatine and actually like, oh, wow, I can really tell I'm on creatine right now, right? From either a visual perspective or even from a strength perspective, right? Like basically creatine just gives us a little bit more ATP. So really like for the first about 10 to 15 seconds of intense exercise, 
Um, that's really going to be fueled by creatine, right? So by us supplementing with additional creatine, we can basically just push a little bit harder, a little bit longer. So maybe you could like grind out one to two more reps versus what you would be able to do without creatine for like a challenging set of, let's say like six to eight, but it's not a massive difference. So, I mean, like you definitely could load creatine. Um, do you have your clients, do you ever recommend people load creatine? I normally just like, it's essentially no. like once, once it's saturated, it's, it's, we can reach the point of saturation a little bit quicker, but honestly, it's not that much difference. And I would say like the benefits we get from loading creatine versus, Hey, let's just start taking three to five grams per day, depending on how, on how large you are. It's really pretty negligible and like trying to load creatine, I think it just makes it a little bit overcomplicated for incredibly small additional benefits. Like maybe you're, maybe you're saturated with creatine a few days earlier than if we just took like three to five grams per day. So, I mean, you absolutely could load creatine, but I don't think your family is going to be like, damn, you got swole since, <laughs> right? Like, I think it's more what you did the rest of the two years since last time you saw yeah, them versus, <laughs> versus that's like, what I was going to say, um, I started it two years ago and lifted in conjunction with that, but. So not, yeah. not like a bad idea or something you shouldn't do by any means. I just wouldn't expect to necessarily see a noticeable result. All right. Final question we have. What is your favorite dog breed? I mean, I was hoping Jody was going to be on this one because then it would be a lot more weighted toward the lab. But we obviously love labs. We've got two. We've had one other one previous to this, too. So I love labs. They're like the perfect combination of smart and stupid. <laughs> like goofy. <laughs> We, my family, actually, my dad always had labs growing up as well. Um, I, I, I like labs. Our labs were always psychos. I don't think so. Really? My dad, yeah, my, my dad's labs were always hunting dogs. And I just like, as a little kid, at least it was always like, hold my dog. And then they'd be like pulling you all over the place. And yeah. They're, <laughs> so, they are wild. Yeah. Taking um, them on a walk is probably a completely different experience than taking an ego on a walk. Does she pull? Yeah, she pulls, she pulls oh, she pretty does. hard. So she's gotten, so she's gotten super into playing fetch. She like just understood it. So now like every morning, one of the first things we do is go play fetch. So at like 6am, she'll like go grab her ball and just like start like nuzzling it into your leg super hard. It's like, Hey, do you want to go play fetch? And then same thing in the evening. And she's just so stoked to get to the little grassy area over by her house to play fetch. She's just pulling super hard the whole way. I mean, she's only... 45 pounds, but she's, she's pretty strong for being 45 pounds. So I think like, like for Katie, it's, she still can kind of like start to pull her around. Um, yeah. but my favorite dog breed is definitely bull terriers. That's for sure. Like I would say before we had a golden retriever when I had a golden retriever when we were little kids. And so it was such a good dog. Um, yeah, they're great too. My sister has golden retrievers pretty much but, any of the, like hunting dogs, like yeah. that whole uh, what would that be like the whole category of breeds they're all yeah. great yeah 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 I, I i would still say though bull terriers just because i've never had a dog that i've loved as much as Enigo. the bull <laughs> terrier thing for us so like for listeners that don't know it's like the target dog right or our dog looks exactly like spuds mckenzie if anybody's familiar with that but like it's for us it started out as a joke like we saw this dog and we were like, oh, that's kind of a cool dog. And Katie was like, I think it's a bull terrier. And we looked up bull terriers and it wasn't. But then it was like, these dogs look so goofy. Like their noses are so big. <laughs> it like started out as a joke. And then we like 
really decided we actually wanted to get one because it'd be kind of funny. And then it, <laughs> I don't know, but she's just the hilarious, there's the funniest dog, but she's just so cute at the same time. So I was both terriers. I am definitely very biased towards, um, anything else to add to that? I mean, I could talk about dogs a lot. That's why I always include it. I'm always waiting for somebody to ask dog questions. I always include it on there on the question box. <laughs> <laughs> this is, I think this but is no. actually the, f- the first dog question we've had. Um, cool. All right. Well, then that is what we have for y'all for today. Um, as always, thank you guys for listening. If you would like to apply for coaching with our team, the link is in the show notes. Just Click that link, Jody will reach out to get a call set up. We'll talk through where you're at, what you're struggling with, determine if you are a good fit to work with our team, and then take it from there. But that is it for today, and we will catch you guys next time.